Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. So welcome. We are starting a brand new series this week. Um, This idea was brought about because last week we talked about Rachel Held Evans, and she has a children's book that just came out within this calendar year. Um, And so we had the idea of talking about children's media. Um, So what are some of our go-to children's media, whether those are movies, shows, books, curriculum, anything that we use either to, um, you know, teach children or connect with children, or we just find this media very helpful in our own faith lives. So Steve, where are we starting today? Well, today I want to um, open the conversation, exploring some of the work and uh, the, the individual books and the theology and the approach of a um, writer named Daniel Erlander, um, who has written a whole variety of kinds of resources, some that are especially geared for young children, some with resources that are for a wide variety of ages, and some of his resources, I think, fall in that great category of it's deceptively simple that looks like it's just child-level stuff, but there's a lot of deep theology stuff that engages adults, um, almost like the, the way that, um, this this may sound weird, almost like the way that like a, a Pixar movie like is ostensibly a cartoon movie, but has a lot of stuff that, oh man, that really leaves, you know, leaves adults thinking. Um, the, Daniel Erlander to me is like the the, the Lutheran theology uh, of, of the Pixar movie, that like he, he uh, does theology in a way that is easily accessible for kids, uh, but also there's a lot of depth going on for what at first looks like just sort of uh, children's line drawings, that kind of thing. Um, and maybe maybe a place to start. Um, he's, he's He's got a, a wide variety of things that he's written, uh, and his style is very much like hand-drawn and hand-lettered. So like his books, if you buy his books, they, they basically look like they have been photocopied from the original drawings that he's done and then written with his own hand, that his own, you know, uh, penmanship, like the, the, the text of his books are handwritten, hand-printed, um, and the drawings are like pen and ink, very simple kind of drawings. Um, and there's a wide variety, some things that are aimed at particular parts of church life. So I I think I first got introduced to resources he wrote for um, uh, preparing children to talk about being baptized and families for being baptized uh, or uh, instruction for children for Holy Communion. Um, And I use his resources there often when I'm working with young kids preparing for Holy Communion. Um, But I think uh, his is the the work that I'm most excited about about his uh, is a summary of the story of the Bible called Manna and Mercy. And the subtitle is what hooked me when I first was introduced to it. The subtitle for the whole story of the Bible is A Brief History of God's Unfolding Promise to Mend the Entire Universe. And I like it's it's that depth and yet there's line drawings of children and animals all playing together on the front that makes it look oh this is going to be easy to engage with and it, it it's it's easy entry level but also there's a lot of rich theology so i, I wanted to lay out his work uh, to, to explore and talk about manna and mercy was what was my confirmation curriculum 
when that's, I went through confirmation. Oh, when you went through this, neat. I I now mm-hmm. use that uh, in our in our confirmation programs these days. Uh, we do two years, one in the Luther Small Catechism and one through the Bible. And yeah, I use Manna and Mercy um, as a as a curriculum with our kids going through the Bible. And honestly, um, I think what I what I value the most about it is um, that it really does uh, treat teaching the Bible, not just as memorize these facts about these individual books, but to see there is a story here and that that story really is one overarching narrative. And I think in a lot of ways, reading Daniel Erlander's approach in in everything he does, there's sort of that, like the whole of the faith really is about God's love and the way we live that out, that that's evident. And that, that, that story uh, tracks. It, 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 that's what all good theology, I think, is supposed to do. Instead of taking a bunch of random Bible verses and just saying, here's random facts about them, how do you create something that creates a cohesive whole that helps me make sense of my life or what I'm supposed to do with my life or my day? Um, and I, I, I've just, I, I found my my day-to-day, week-to-week theology impacted by the work of Daniel Ehrenlander even that way. I guess I want to say, too, um, uh, something that I I think is really helpful about Daniel Erlander's work, and this is across uh, his his more in-depth Bible stuff. He's written good stuff that's sort of an introduction to Lutheran uh, theology and spirituality that I use when I'm working with new members who are coming to to, uh, the Lutheran tradition from other other traditions, or even what he does to to introduce the ideas of uh, baptism or communion or whatever, is he's able to get at something simple that's profound without being sloppy or shallow. And I think, uh, to be very, very honest, a lot of resources that I, I uh, am familiar with, with children's resources, um, make make one error or the other. Either they are so, so dense and complicated to try and preserve the richness of theology that it's really not for kids anymore, or in the in the name of being simple it becomes shallow or worse yet becomes shallow moralism that like that all we're supposed to do to teach children is be good little boys and good little girls which is fine but like the the heart of the christian faith as far as i'm concerned is not you should be good and then god will love you but about god's reckless love even for stinkers um and that if that's true um then our messages for children shouldn't be only goofus and gallant morality plays don't do this bad thing do this good thing but about how god's love reaches out to include us even when we've been selfish and mean and 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 cranky or whatever one of the one of the maybe a good example that comes to mind in uh his introduction to holy communion his, his book called a place for you he retraces like the biblical stories of jesus and the tables that he would eat at and there's this recurring image of the crabby people they're sort of dressed up as religious professionals you know the the priests and the pharisees and they make this recurring cameo appearance in his work and um it'll say the crabby people didn't like that jesus ate with zacchaeus or the crabby people wanted to get rid of Jesus or whatever. And even at the end of the book, the crabby people are now included that Jesus love includes even the crabby people, which, which speaks a word of hope to me that it's not just, um, uh, sorry, you're out. If you're crabby once that you're, there's no hope for you, but that, that God's God's work, God's intention is to enfold even the crabby people, uh, in the new creation. So that, that, that is something that, that he brings to the fore that I really, really like. I, I agree that there isn't a, two dimension to his work, you know, even though his drawings are rather his drawings, dimensional, yeah. <laughs> but like the theology isn't. And the way that you can see yourself in the story isn't, 
Because um, I think that through for a very long time in children's literature, there was the idea of you're supposed to identify with the main character right, and no one else. And um, that just wasn't the reality, right? Like in Little House on the Prairie, not every little girl saw herself as Laura. Right. Some little girls saw themselves as Mary. And, you know, that is, I think that's good when we see ourselves that way. And for Erlander, especially the a place at the table, some kids are going to identify as the crabby people. Yeah. Like yeah. you're not happy all the time. Sometimes you're crabby. Sometimes you're angry and sometimes you're mean. Yeah. But even then there's a place at the table for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that that's, that's a really, really helpful thing. I'm, I'm glad you lifted it up about Erlander's work that, it, that there's multiple points of accessibility and there's that acknowledgement, which to me feels very Lutheran of I'm not just the hero. Sometimes I'm also the villain or, you know, the Lutheran fancy way of saying it is simul justus et peccator, that we are always simultaneously both the beloved of God and the total mess ups uh, who frustrate God and make God face palm. Um, and, and I think the way Erlander presents even the story of the Bible, this is another thing that I, I really appreciate about, uh, uh, appreciate about his approach to storytelling that I don't think kids are, uh, too unintelligent to grasp, but I think sometimes we treat them this way that even the main character or characters of a story can have both strengths and weaknesses. And instead of presenting them as solely good or solely bad, I think sometimes we're, we're tempted to present the story of say God's people in the Bible as, Oh, Israel is the hero of the story. Therefore everything that we say about ancient Israel will be all in this positive light. And all the other surrounding nations are the evil villains. And that's not really how the Bible tells the story. It's, you know, God, God frees this, this nation of enslaved people. And sometimes they get it right. And a lot of times they fail to live into the vision of what God intends for them. And without making them into villains, Erlander can say God's vision was for them to be people who would treat each other rightly and love each other and not take advantage of each other. But man, they slid right back into it and they, you know, they get a king and they decide to oppress each other and they don't care about the poor. And Erlander can say that, that, that upsets God in a way that I can remember when I was going through confirmation uh, as a seventh and eighth grader. And I don't think that came through. I think it was more like Israel was the sort of one dimensional hero of the old Testament. And then Jesus, the the hero of the new Testament, rightly so. Um, but the, also the, the church, like, well, and the church also infallibly always is the hero instead of, and sometimes we really struggled with who will we include? And the church wrestled with, are we including Gentiles? Um, and early is able to say, even the people who are the, the people of God, uh, sometimes get it right and we sometimes blow it and that it's not that God's failed, but that we haven't lived up to what God's dream. We haven't Im- embodied what God's vision is for us. And in the face of that, God doesn't just zap us and say, you messed up, but that God continue. All right, I'll find another way to get through to you because the vision, God doesn't give up on that vision. Um, even when we blow it, that that's something that I have found very, very few voices that are engaging for children um, or even young adults uh, that that have that kind of nuance. And I think I've also read uh, Mercy Amanda. Thanks to you, Steve. You introduced me to it. And um, something I like about it is most children's Bibles, children's storybooks about scripture, especially when talking about the Old Testament, just focus on Noah and the Ark and David and Goliath and those, those felt board things that we (laughs) all grew up with. But, you know, Erlander 
does cover all the things that kind of happen in between those as well. Right. And really bigger grasp of the Old Testament story rather than just those stories that everybody, whether they're or nine or 90, knows because we learned them in Sunday school. Yeah. And they're, yeah. they're the kid-friendly stories. I think that's the other piece, too, that I, I really appreciate about a, a writer and a perspective like Erlander is that instead of treating the Bible like it's uh, a, a handful of unrelated episodes that just happen to be between the same, you know, covers. He sees this overarching narrative. And I, I realize that's an act of constructive theology, that these are individual stories that took place over centuries sometimes, but that he's able to give the framework in which they all make sense. Even if that means like in his manna and mercy, he doesn't say, and now here's where I'm going to tell the story of David and Goliath. I think he assumes you've got a children's Bible that'll tell you that story. And that's one of those stories that man, everybody learns at some point. But he's able to say, like, what's going on in that story? And uh, there's the story of God who triumphs not with power and military force and weaponry, but through weakness and through smallness. And he gets it with the the meaning of stories like that. Um, He doesn't do like a long spread of Noah and the Ark and, you know, the way children's books sort of like forget the sheer terror of a story that's about the near end of the world but instead he's like at the end of that story god says i'm not going to do things this way anymore i'm not going to zap the whole world i will do the slow hard difficult work of loving people who are mess ups um and that recognizing the theology going on in those stories rather than just presenting those stories that's a big deal i think yeah and correct me if i'm wrong but doesn't he also then you know when it comes to the new testament he doesn't just stop with jesus i mean he works his way accent i mean i know the letters are kind of difficult for anybody to put into a narrative style he does address you know acts and revelation as well which again are things that we tend not to go too deeply into when we deal with children's stories or with children's bibles it's just jesus let's focus on the god which is important but you know there's a whole larger chunk of the new testament we need to address too Sure, sure. And for me, that's the thing that I think is really another another helpful piece about early Anders' perspective is I, I get the sense he understands that the, the goal of both the church and Christian education is not simply to teach people facts about Jesus or the people who came before Jesus, but to form us into a kind of people who live out the way of Jesus. And in particular, that means the way of love of neighbor, of stranger, of enemy. Um, and that that's why there's that important move from here, not just here's what happened with Jesus, but then what did the followers of Jesus do after the resurrection? Well, they lived together and they shared their uh, resources and they went out and told other people and they included in people and they included foreigners and women were leaders. I mean, all those things are a part of the story. And again, w- without those things being explicitly told, I'm, I think sometimes we treat that as, well, that's not really all that important, but no, it, it's part of the Bible story. And uh, I think I think sometimes our, the, the, the church's focus in the New Testament just on Jesus forgets that there's a community formed around the God, you know, who, who calls us. So in the, in the story of ancient Israel, you sort of picture, you know, the people encamped out around the pillar of cloud and fire that it's, it's the people who God goes with. And the new Testament is the same. There's this whole community that's seeking to live out this way of life that they've come to know in Jesus. And again, I, I don't know a lot of other children's authors or authors who are accessible to children who, who are able to make those moves as nimbly as Erlander is. And, and like, I don't want to say deceptively, but like in a way he, he's like insidiously gets below your defenses because they just look like simple, harmless cartoons. And then you go, oh, my goodness, this cartoon completely changed my understanding of how God works, you know? 
like there, there's a couple instances of, of, of that that I, I want to lift up about his writing too. Like when he tells the story of Jesus being tempted by uh, Satan in the wilderness, um, he's, he treats it like sort of an echo of Israel's wilderness experience, you know, back in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. But the way he, he uh, has the devil appear, uh, Satan isn't dressed like as, you know, the guy with the red uh, horns and the pitchfork and the jumpsuit. He's dressed in a, in a business suit, you know, like he's suit and tie. And, and it's basically this appeal of, you know, I will make you respectable. And like, there's something really important about even that image of, yeah, usually the, 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 the power of evil's temptation isn't that it smells of sulfur and, you know, has horns, but it looks respectable and it promises you things like success and, you know, power and, and worldly acclaim. And that yet something like that is, is the, the way evil would appear, not, not as something that's obviously evil, but as something that, that makes itself look good or respectable. And even those little choices in the way he draws and tells the stories, um, does something really important uh, that helps overturn or, or, or change our expectations. I think in a similar vein, something that I've always appreciated out about Erlander is how he draws people, not yeah. so much in Mana and Mercy, but like in, for example, the book about uh, communion yeah. or, you know, a place at the table um, that it, it's very inclusive yep. um, specifically for ministers. Yep. Um, that there are women ministers, there are, um, you know, people of color ministers, there's, um, I think one of the people is wearing a diaconal stole instead of, you know, the stole that ministers of word and sacrament wear, yeah. that it, it's showing a variety of people in that leadership role. And I know I'm seeing this completely as just a woman who is a minister, but uh, you know, it's so refreshing to see somebody who looks like me in that role in children's media, um, because because if you as soon as you do that, you know that people in certain denominations are not going to recommend this book, are not <laughs> right. going to buy this book for their library. So frequently, you know, authors and illustrators will play it safe. And they will draw ministers all as men. Right. So that way that their work is more accessible to more denominations. But when you do that, you're kind of reinforcing that idea that ministers can only look a certain way. Right, right, right. And that's ultimately harmful. And th there's an effortlessness of the way he does things like that, that like he'll do that in subtle ways. Like he he'll he'll draw, you know, that here's a scene from a church and there's this woman who's the pastor and it won't be like highlighting. And look what I did, everybody. It's just sort of like he presents it as the most natural thing in the world is go like, yeah, of course, women and men are pastors and uh, all different skin tones and shades and things like that. And even like uh, that there you'll see folks of uh, with with different levels of, of uh, physical ability as well. There'll be folks, uh, you know, who, who are, are in wheelchairs who are in leadership roles too that like it's not this sort of patronizing and the church's job is to go find sick people in wheelchairs and we you know we patronize them but no how do we involve this person and it's it's just so natural in the way he draws um that it 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 comes through with like yeah of course you would expect that people of all sorts of different physical abilities and skin tones and gender that of, of course they'll have different roles of leadership that helps make it like the the this this is this is the norm uh, rather than um yeah make making it feel like it's it's a special case and it, I, I think you're right Sarah, that he's he's made a choice 
to, to risk being less marketable for the sake of that's what the vision of the people of God looks like. I may have shared this in, in another podcast, depending on the series far, far back, but the story is told where I serve uh, about 20 years ago. The, the pastor was the, the first woman who was a pastor in these congregations. And there's a young man who is now an adult uh, who, who at one point uh, whispered to his mother when he was a child and said, I, mommy, I wish I could grow up and be a pastor, but it looks like only women can be pastors. And there's something beautiful about his normative assumption was that women were pastors and he had never seen uh, uh, men in the role of pastor. And there's something delightful in that reversal. But like, man, is that a wake up call that for a lot of people, uh, they grew up with no women can't be pastors because they'd never seen it or it was treated like this controversial, oh my goodness, kind of a thing. And when an artist or a writer goes, this is the most natural thing in the world, um, and especially in the way they present, this is what church looks like. That goes a long way toward helping other kids go, oh, no, th- this could be me as well. Um, another thing that I think is worth mentioning about um, Erlander that I think is important is that um, he, I think, was one of the first authors I encountered, especially with children, um, who understood and was able to communicate real clearly the recurring pattern of empires throughout the story of the Bible. He uses a sort of pyramid shaped diagram that keeps coming back and it's pyramid at first because it shows up in Egypt, but that image of how you've got a Pharaoh on top and then basically slaves on the bottom. And that part of the problem with the enslavement of the, the Hebrews in ancient Egypt was uh, not, not just that God wants these people free, but that God doesn't want anybody to be dominated that way or enslaved. That, that, that violates God's intention for human beings, that we sort of pile up wealth and power and whatever. And then uh, as the people are free, God sort of says, I want you to be different. I've, I've given you this different way of living. And then when Israel fails at that and they get their own king, they become their own version of an empire. You get that diagram all over again, except now instead of Pharaoh on top, it's King Solomon. Or And to say, look, the, the, the problem was that we became the thing we were supposed to be freed from and how terrible it is when, you know, we, we, we knew when we were enslaved how terrible it was to live under that kind of a system. And then we sell ourselves back into that. And then that Erlander can draw on that same idea in the stories of the other empires, Babylon and Greece and Rome, and go like, look how this keeps coming back. We keep doing this to each other, we human beings. And it's never a good idea. Um, that to me also gives kids and hopefully their pastors, the resources for saying, it's not just that um, uh, Pharaoh was a bad emperor or king, but that whole notion of dominating other people is the problem. Even if people do it with the good intentions and saying that God is on their side, sometimes it's even worse when people do it saying God is on their side. So uh, not only was it dangerous when Solomon said, I'm going to make an empire, you know, in, in a similar way, but also even in our day too, when it's tempting for Christians to say, what we need is Christians to have more military power and strength. We should be in charge and dominate others. Danger Will Robinson, you know, that, that like we've, we we're doing the same pattern all over again. And Erlander is, is I, in, in my, in my head, that image from Erlander's books, he's coming back to my mind in those kind of conversations, even now, even when I'm not teaching a Bible class, but it's that, that notion of the problem is, is that structure over and over and over again. So maybe um, if, if I were going to say um, 
places that I would encourage or invite people to uh, investigate of Erlander's works. Uh, if you were interested in taking a look yourself, you who are listening in, uh, we've talked a fair amount about Mana and Mercy, which is a longer book of probably not quite a hundred pages. Uh, yeah. Uh, but with a, a decent section of end notes for a book that is written in hand with, with hand drawings, but he knows this stuff and has clearly has done his, his uh, research. You'll see a long list of like, biblical scholars who inform his vision but manna and mercy is a, is a good deep dive um his uh, a place for you is intended as a book for instruction on holy communion uh his um uh let the children come is a is a, a book written for families on uh baptism and what baptismal instruction means um he's also wrote uh, a, a much longer and more in-depth book on baptism called water washed and spirit born which is a good one um and then he even writes pamphlets there's a short little pamphlet of his that like unfolds like a board game called it's all about love which is meant to be sort of like the super duper broad uh introduction to the whole christian faith and it's you know it like unfolds like a like a a game board almost and it has like a little path so it is really really basic but it's a good way to get like a a taste of erlander stuff and then the last the last piece of his that i would i would want to highlight is um he wrote a book called the tales of the pointless people um and uh, it's a compilation of stories that's a riff at first on a, oh, I'm trying to remember who wrote the original story of the, the Pointless People. The, the original uh, story is sort of retelling of the Eden story about the, 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 the serpent in the garden. And the serpent tells the first humans they're not having, a, they can't be having a good time because they're not keeping points about who's winning in life. Um, and he, he's written this delightful illustration of that and then has spun that out and told all of church history, uh, including into the 20th century, you know, contemporary issues of Lutheranism, all in terms of being people who don't live by how do we earn God points um, and how to include people regardless of who's got points or not. Um, and it's, it's, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating resource that way too. Um, so all those are, are launching points I'd invite, um, but I really appreciate this chance to share with you uh, an author who I really, really appreciate and find a lot of value in. Well, thank you, Steve. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I'm looking forward to hear what kind of resources each of you will bring to the fore to our imaginary table next time. But we hope you can join us next time for more conversation here on Crazy Faith Talk. Yeah.